entering the Freedom Hut. It's slightly less Super Tuesday. Biden and Bernie facing off in a half a dozen states. We'll break down the politics of it. Plus, Bernie Sanders says that the Soviet Union wasn't really socialism. And the latest in the Trump administration trying to get a handle on coronavirus, trying to make sure there are the fewest possible cases. we got that and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. It's a new day. And I think that's certainly a good thing. Yesterday was a tough one. No question about it. Markets were tanking. Everybody was on edge. Just as a form of... of psychological torture i kept checking in to see whatever investments that i have and and it was for me a way of training myself this is not when you sell this is not when you empty out your 401k which you should never do until you're really ready to retire Uh, everybody was concerned yesterday about the market and everybody was concerned about the possibility of america facing what italy now faces with the Really, the lockdown of the whole of the whole country because of coronavirus. Um, I, I wanted to, to flip the script, if I can, today. We'll talk about the latest with coronavirus. I feel like there's such saturation of that coverage. Everything that we are hearing all the time is about whether this is going to be so bad or not, what it's going to do to the economy or not. It's a lot of speculation, including from armchair epidemiologists, and all of a sudden social science experts, as well as medical science experts, who are finding themselves tribalized in their positions on this. It's either going to be so terrible, it's as bad as the Spanish flu, or it's going to be not much of a big deal at all in this country. It already is a big deal elsewhere in the world. The answer, my friends, is we don't know yet. We take the precautions we can. We do the most we can to make sure that we're in the best possible position to prevent this from becoming a lot worse than the few dozen deaths and the 700 or so cases we've seen yet in this country. But uh, should there be targeted financial bailouts, let's call them what they are, for different industries? What should the Trump administration doing? What does this tell us about Fed policy? I I will work into all of that and perhaps a bit more on the Russia versus Saudi oil situation later on in the show. I I wanted to give us a little respite at the top here from just coronavirus speculation, which is what everyone's engaged in right now. Um, you know, I, I want what's best for the country. I want the most people in America, and quite honestly, around the world, too, but the most people I focus on uh, in America uh, to be healthy and fine and get past this, and I want prosperity and security and all those things. And I know right now that might sound like I'm in some kind of a you know Miss America contest, and I'm answering the question that should be answered with world peace, but I really do want what's best for the country, even more than want what's best for the Trump administration's re-election and, and four more years and all of that. I mean, I want that. I'm not, not pretending I don't, but I just want what's best for America. And I really wish that there could be a, we, we could put aside, you know, put the knives away for a second in politics. Just Just stop going after each other until we really know what we're dealing with here. There's plenty of time. And this is what I was trying to get to in the Bill Marshall. I was like, ah, Trump is terrible. And Trump lies. I just, you know, I got caught in this maelstrom of idiocy. But what I was trying to say is there's not going to be any 
shortage of time to do assessments, what worked, what didn't, who's who was on top of this, who predicted it correctly, who didn't. You're not going to be able to hide from it. All right, we're going to have confirmed cases, and yes, there's going to be a body count. We're all going to know. So can we focus on making this thing better? I, I have spent already more time in this hour than I meant to on this topic. We'll get to it later on. I did want to focus a bit on the the politics of the day because we're going to find out whether or not the Democratic Party, and I, when I say find out, okay, it's not definitive, but we will likely know after today whether the Democratic Party has rejected the uh, socialist candidate in its in their primary or rejected might be too strong a term because there's still a lot of people that want the burn they're feeling the burn baby they think that it's a good thing they want bernie sanders a lot of people out there that are hoping for this uh, but did the democrats walk up to the precipice of collectivism outright socialism instead of the incremental socialism that joe biden represents they, they want more state control more state involvement more redistribution at the hands of the state using force implied force but ultimately force they want that in the democratic party that is that is central to their ethos but sanders is just like why the pretense guys let's just do this let's just go for it so you have on the one hand their desire for anything other than Trump, as, as evidenced here by, by Nancy Pelosi, whose talking points about this president bear no resemblance to reality as a normal person would see it. But here's Nancy Pelosi claiming that the country simply cannot handle two more years of Trump. Play clip two, producer Mark. Our country is a great country great country and we'll go into some of its greatness more if you wish it can withstand one term of the current occupant of the white house it cannot withstand two no i don't think the damage is permanent that's why we have to win this election yes it's existential for the country we can survive one term of trump i don't know if we can survive two gosh all the the peace and prosperity and Lack of focus on nonsense that we shouldn't even care about, like the Green New Deal, and how will we ever, ever live? See, the problem that Democrats have had all along with the coronavirus response and, and their responses to it is that they can't help but view this through the lens of anything to stop Trump, including acting like complete lunatics while the country is facing something that should be concerning to all of us. It should be unifying for us cannot withstand two terms of Trump, trying to raise the stakes even more than we've already seen them. Pelosi and others have called the president a clear and present danger. They have said that he wants foreign interference in our elections. They have, in the case of Adam Schiff, uh, flat out said that they have seen evidence that the president of the United States is a traitor to his country. They've run out of exaggerations there is no level of hyperbole that is beyond their ability to that has been beyond their ability to reach so far they've already gone there right they've they've fired the bazooka so to speak they got nothing else now they're just trying to resurrect the old narratives about how he's an existential threat and just just try to have the propaganda seep uh, a little deeper not into the minds of the left they've already become trump deranged but maybe some independents say yeah I just want it to be 
Biden because, you know, it seems like it would be uh, a little bit more of a re- return to normalcy. This is what this is what the main pitch is. Um, this is where we have to now watch as the media shifts to, oh, no, Biden is just going to be Obama term three. That was really what we were going for all along here. And they're going to hope that you forget that in one of the early Democrat debates, 10 candidates out of 10 on stage, there are about 20, I think, that were in the race over all the time, raised their hands when they were asked whether or not they would give free health care to illegal aliens who arrived in the United States. And I'm a little bit surprised, and I, I know I keep drifting into the coronavirus topic here, but it obviously is very important right now in the news cycle, including in, in the political side of things. I'm a little bit surprised the administration hasn't capitalized more on securing our borders and the need to secure our borders as a national security concern. This is real, okay? European countries, uh, places like Italy, ground zero for coronavirus in Europe right now, they're telling people you can't travel, you'll be in, within your own country, you'll be fined or imprisoned in order to enforce this quarantine. We're talking about international boundaries here, folks. And the Trump administration hasn't really made the case. And I, I'm surprised. I think it's a big miss, honestly. Maybe they should have Buck as White House communications director. I would crush it, by the way. But, you know, they'd rather have the mooch. Hey, the mooch. So I'm just kidding. I couldn't take that job. Be a big pay cut. So here's the problem that, that I see right now with the Trump administration and trying to fight against the narratives that the media is mounting on on behalf of Joe Biden. Uh, we've been preparing for a socialist candidate, and now we're going to have to all we're going to have to watch as the media gaslights us. All that left wing, super crazy stuff. All the AOC. Let's give healthcare to illegals. Green New Deal. No cow farts. They're just going to wash that wash that away. Push that aside. Act like it never happened. And now they've just got Joe Biden, man, and he's totally normal. Don't worry about what he says. Don't worry about anything. He, Joe Biden, he, Obama's vice president. That's all it is. They are going to try to carry this guy across the finish line, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, no matter what comes up about him. doesn't matter. This They are unified in this effort now. You're going to see this because Bernie Sanders is not going to win Michigan today. He's not going to win. There, there's a, a handful of states that are in play. It's like Mississippi. Yeah, Michigan, Mississippi, North Dakota, Missouri, Washington State. Idaho. So the big delegate hall comes from Michigan. Looks like you're going to have a win, unless the polls could be wrong. Who knows? You're probably going to have a win for Joe Biden, and that means that it's not realistic. I'm not saying impossible, because we've all learned. I guess Biden is going to be the candidate. I, 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 I think I gave the Democrats too much credit that they would at least find somebody that there's some reason to vote for instead of taking essentially an, an aged, empty vessel that gets confused all the time and be like, yes, this person. Why? Don't worry about that. Just vote for this person, Joe Biden. You know the name. Reminds me a little bit of the movie. And not one of Eddie Murphy's best at all. I'm not even, It's probably Eddie Murphy top 10, but that's not saying much because after you get out of the top five, but there was that movie, uh, Producer Mark, you ever see it, uh, The Distinguished Gentleman with Eddie Murphy, where he, oh, no, it's a different era. Producer Mark probably doesn't, I don't even know if he's seen Eddie Murphy movies. We got a lot of work to do on the 
on the, uh, yeah, that's right, the Greybeard Millennial movie list for you. We got a lot of work to do. Of course I've seen Eddie Murphy movies. Okay. What's the best Eddie Murphy movie? Uh, are you going to get mad if I say Dr. Doolittle? Because that's the first one that I can remember off the I top mean, of my head. I mean, I'm a little bit upset on the inside about this. I like Daddy Daycare. Oh, my movie. gosh. Now I'm really getting upset. Yeah. Not Beverly Hills Cop. Not 48 Hours. This is a generational thing. He's just folks. Yeah, it's a generational thing. He just, he just doesn't know. You know, next he's going to tell me Smash Mouth is better than the Rolling Stones. I mean, this is a generational okay. thing. I would never say something like that, Buck. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he says that now. What I was referring to, though, is The Distinguished Gentleman, a movie with Eddie Murphy that's uh, not not a particularly good movie, but it's somewhat watchable, where he's he just runs as a, a, a congressman dies, I think, in Florida, named Jeff Johnson, and his name is Jeffrey Johnson, and he, Eddie Murphy, and he's kind of a con man, so he goes, I'm just going to run for Congress as Jeff Johnson, and they go around with these... Uh, megaphones, you know, in different neighborhoods, and they're yelling, you know, vote Jeff Johnson, the name you know. Like, that's it. That's the whole campaign. That's basically what they're going to do now with Joe Biden. Forget about all the wokeness and the, and the, you know, stopping the cow farts and the Green New Deal and Medicare for all and all this stuff. Forget about all that. Jeff Johnson. I mean, Joe Biden, the name you know. Obama's VP. That's all you have to know. This is what it's going to be. And anybody that challenges the the flimsiness of this narrative is going to be shouted down. How dare you? You know, all of the anti-Trump rage will just come out. The only truth that you'll really see from Democrats is from some of the Bernie supporters who they've got their own delusions. But at least they recognize that Joe, Joe Biden is a, a crony capitalist corporatist empty vessel who does whatever he has to do to get reelected, has no moral or political core, and has just sort of been riding the system as long as he can and getting his relatives very wealthy off their connections to him in office. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's going to be the pitch, which is why moments like this are, are going to be uh, much more common. Here's Cory Booker. He's Cory Booker. He got all these different politicians. Got to fall in line now behind Biden. Here's what he says. Play uh, 13. It's obvious to me that a time that darkness has descended, we need a president who is a light worker. We have had enough of a president that does demeaning. It's time that we have a president that does redeeming. I know that this is a moral moment in America. It is a moral moment. This election is not about right or left. It's about right or wrong. Yeah. Cory Booker always somehow sounds like he's giving uh, a speech as part of a tryout for a high school debate team, you know, just just reaches a little too far, a little too high. The soaring rhetoric is too much, but that's what you're going to be told. It's a moral question. Vote for Biden, the good guy. He's the good guy. He's blue collar Joe. He's been around forever. A return to normalcy. Everything will just calm down and chill out if you vote for Joe. My friends, this is the enormous Democrat head fake that I've told you about so many times. That left wing party, that party of of AOC and Bernie, and you you look at the the leading lights of the Democrat Party today, and where they're going on abortion, on climate change, on redistribution of wealth, taxation, Medicare for all, free college, all these you know student debt forgiveness, all these different issues. Now they're going to pretend like that hasn't been the conversation for the last year, and it's going to be this massive focus on Joe Biden's a good guy. You know Joe Biden. He's been in the game forever. He's going to return us all to normal. It's all going to be okay with Joe Biden. That's the name. It's just, it's just a return to normalcy. 
political normalcy. Don't worry about all the crazies in his party. Don't worry about the primary you've seen with the Democrats talking about insane stuff and the fact that about 30% of the party really wants it to be Bernie. And they're straight-up socialists. Don't worry about any of that. Joe Biden, return to normal. Don't worry about the people that he'll put in the White House, the, the Democrat apparatus he'll put around him. Don't pay attention to any of that. It's, he's, a, he's a centrist, they say, even though in reality Joe Biden has been whatever the Democratic Party's wanted him to be at any point in time. And this Democrat Party is further left than any Democrat Party in my lifetime and probably in the last hundred years, you could say. That's where we are now, folks. It's all, it's all a mirage. It's all the pretense that Biden's something that he's not. That is how they think they get this guy elected. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. But to unify this nation, we first have to unify our party. And over the past week, we've had, there's, I've gone a long way toward, we've gone a long way toward doing that. Mayor Pete, Senator Gobachar, Beto O'Rourke, Senator Booker, Senator Harris, um, Mayor Bloomberg. They have done something that I think the press is perplexed with as much as I am, that they've all come out and endorsed one at one time. Yeah, he's perplexed, folks. Why, why would all these candidates come out and endorse Joe Biden at once? What a, what a coincidence. Huh. You know. I mean, it's not like anybody was making phone calls from the DNC and there were no backroom deals going on. No, 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 no. It's just all such a shock. Joe Biden can't figure it out. The media is perplexed, too. Or like we're all supposed to play along with this game like it wasn't the establishment calling the Democrats to heal. Hey, this is what you're going to do. We can't have crazy Bernie because crazy Bernie's too honest about what he wants to do as a Democrat to this country. Joe Biden will lie to people and then do the stuff that crazy Bernie wants to do. He'll just call it something else and he'll do it slower. That's what's going on right now. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. This election is a very important election, in my view. Civilization as we know it is at stake. Uh, It's about everything. It's about America. We ask God to bless America. What is America? America is our Constitution. America is our Constitution with the genius of the separation of powers, Bill of a republic, if you can keep it, Benjamin Franklin all of the Bill of Rights and all that that contains, and that is under siege. It is, I think there's a disloyalty to the Constitution. Yes, the Republic, if you keep it, Benjamin Franklin, and, you know, uh, I cannot tell a lie, George Washington and the cherry tree. And Why is it that Nancy Pelosi sounds like a fourth grader who just got out of a basic civics lesson when she talks about America, you know, the genius of the founders and you know the Constitution, and I really I mean this. If you ask Nancy Pelosi, who who is whack as a public figure, third in line for the presidency, that is that is a fact. She's third in line for the presidency. I know a lot of you are like that would never happen, but okay, it, it, that that is the truth though. As a public figure, who's the single most powerful Democrat in elected office right now, if you were to on the spot ask Nancy Pelosi. To, not word for word, but just tell what, what the first five amendments to the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the Constitution, what those are about. I, I, I would bet a large sum of money that she wouldn't get more than three of them. 
And, and yet she's giving you constitutional lectures here or, or trying to appeal to your sense of respect for the Constitution as a as a reason to vote against Donald Trump for reelection. Again, notice the lack of specifics. How is how is there a lack of uh, or, or how is there a an absence of fidelity to the Constitution from President Trump? What has he done that's unconstitutional? Every time they say he does something unconstitutional, it's usually something that has gone to court. And then usually the courts say, no, he's right. What is the unconstitutional act? Making fun of the press? I think that our, our elite media really does believe, and they're not actually elite, they're just elitists. They think of themselves as elite. But the elite media institutions really believe that they should be insulated from criticism by politicians. Because they're so used to being able to pile on one side and have Republicans of the Romney school be like, oh, I don't want to be mean. Okay, sure. Just tell everybody that I'm like a wife beater and a horrible human being who gives people cancer for no reason. And that's fine. You know, whatever it is, we're just supposed to keep getting punched in the face, punched in the face by by the journalists and by the Democratic establishment. And anybody who fights back against that, (gasps) you're destroying the Constitution. These people don't even know what the Constitution says. They, they couldn't even begin to have a real discussion about constitutional limits. And when, whenever they feel like it, they say the Constitution is an old document written by racist white men and shouldn't really be binding on our polity today. But then a week later, they'll be like, you know, the founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, you know, like Hamilton, the musical, that guy and stuff. And she has no idea what she's talking about, but. She says it could be the end of civilization as we know it. How, how can anyone take this person, Nancy Pelosi, seriously? The end of civilization? The country isn't just on the – isn't like falling into anarchy and the destruction of civilization. The first three years of the Trump presidency were three of the most prosperous, most peaceful, most happy years of my lifetime. I mean, you really would have to go back to the golden – the golden era, the golden years of the Reagan administration have anything similar. I mean, we go back to the the last Republican president we had, George W. Bush, and pretty much right away we were in the midst of the war on terror and 9-11 and a huge recession and big problems and some very bad decisions made by that Bush administration, notably the war in Iraq. But there's nothing comparable under the Bush administration, and I was working at the CIA at the time, uh, I spent years on the Iraq desk and particularly in in the end of Bush's first and into his uh, second term. And there was no feeling of brighter, sunnier days then than what we've had under Trump. So it's just not it's just delusional. I mean, Pelosi is feeding into a delusion here that the country is doing so poorly and everything's so bad. Yeah, we've got a coronavirus situation that we need to handle. I do believe that Trump is trying to handle it. And is doing so far. It's not perfect. I do wish he would stay on message more when he was at the CDC and he was giving the, you know, giving the American people a window into how the experts are talking about this issue and how they're handling it. And I, I don't like that he gets off message and starts making fun of the press and stuff there because then they'll just attack that, which takes the focus off of the very good work that he's doing to coordinate the response from CDC and NIH. But we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay, and it's not going to be the end of civilization as we know it if Donald Trump wins again. It could be the end of America as we know it if Bernie Sanders were to win, and Joe Biden wouldn't be that much better. I'm not going to be disingenuous with you. I think Joe Biden is a better choice for America than Bernie Sanders. I'd rather have Joe Biden in office, mostly because Biden is an open corporatist. I mean, you can buy Biden off. 
So at least we know that he he's a fan of markets insofar as markets can line his or his family members' pockets. He's not going to completely destroy that. Bernie Sanders, you got to wonder what this guy really thinks is good. I think that Bernie Sanders would look people in the eye if he, if he became president and if his policies were instituted and it resulted in uh, massive destruction of wealth in this country. I do believe that Bernie Sanders would look people in the eye and say, but we're more equal, aren't we? And as if there's no problem. You know, if we had a stagnant economy, you know, zero to negative GDP growth, went into a, a, a solid recession called the Bernie recession, if he became president and you would have a huge uh, flight of uh, capital out of out of markets because everyone would know that Bernie Sanders, you know, a modest Wall Street tax. It's not a modest tax. You start looking at these things. They really would eat away an investment. And uh, but Bernie Sanders would still tell you that that was OK. He wouldn't even lie about what's going on. He'd say, yeah, it's good. So what if everybody's got a tougher time paying their bills and, you know, everything is more expensive and the market is functioning less efficiently? We're all suffering together. That's really a that's really a Marxist rallying cry. Make the state make everyone suffer more together because that's the true unity. That's the true equality. And we'll talk more about Bernie and socialism in, in just a moment. But that's really the goal here. The goal is not to make everybody better off and happier and because everyone knows that's not going to happen. There are always going to be people who make bad choices. There are always going to be people who are lazy. There are people who are dumb. There are people who can't actually get their act together. And they love having a politician who will come forward and say, nothing that has happened to you in your life is your fault. None of your frustrations are the result of your own decisions or your parents' decisions. None of that is the case. It's all the big fat cats who are holding you down. This is the politics of envy. Incredibly powerful for as long as human uh, human beings have gathered together in groups. The politics of envy works, unfortunately, but it's destructive. It's not additive. That's what Bernie Sanders excels in. Joe Biden, you know, kind of pretends to be a little, a little something else. You know, there's a little bit of class warfare, but also, you know, we got to kind of recognize that really all the Silicon Valley barons and all the, the top echelon of Wall Street now, these are all Democrats. So we got to keep them happy. They're super rich and they write big checks for fundraisers and stuff. So Biden's got a little bit of a different view of this. Uh, wouldn't be much better, but certainly would be not as immediately catastrophic. Um Bernie, by the way, you know, given the realities of the coronavirus situation right now, he, he wants everyone to know that you would have paid medical leave in his system. Here's a here's a perfect example of this. Um, play nine. At a time when half of the people in this country live paycheck to paycheck and when people go to work every single day, even when they are sick because they need an income to take care of their families. The United States remains the only major country on earth not to guarantee paid sick leave and paid family leave. Now, that is absurd in a general sense, but it is particularly dangerous given the moment we are at right now. now. And that means that today there are people who are going to work who may well have symptoms of the coronavirus or other illnesses. And in the midst of this crisis, when we do not want people going to work who are sick, who may have the coronavirus, we must guarantee that all people who do not go to work or self-quarantine themselves because they think they may have the virus receive a paycheck to keep their families and their own lives going. Not a radical idea. 
That's a, that's a great idea, Bernie. Right? Sounds It sounds good. I get that. It sounds good. Right. We don't want coronavirus to spread. There is pressure on people to go in. And look, I, mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've done radio or whatever my media obligations are when I'm sick as a dog. I mean, in really bad shape. But, you know, you got to keep fighting for the Freedom Hut. But I, I, I will, producer Mark, I don't want him to freak out. If I thought I had coronavirus, I would stay home and self-quarantine and get tested. And I think that you know, the, the powers that be here would, would accept that. <laughs> but, okay, sounds great what Bernie says. Um, how much sick leave should you get? How much sick leave should you get? I mean, he's telling us we need sick leave. Okay, how much? Does it? Do you stay? Is it just for this period? of what about, what about when coronavirus makes a comeback in the fall? So it's going to just be sick leave then you have going forward. Well, how much is enough? You might have to 14-day self-quarantine. Does everyone get 14 days added of, of sick leave? Do you know what that would do to businesses? If all of a sudden people could just take off what would be over two weeks of, of sick leave, then that was mandatory? How are you going to adjudicate this? Are you going to make it illegal if some, if you fire somebody because you think they're abusing sick leave, which can be a fireable offense, uh, depending on the circumstances? Uh, how are you going to know? They're just trying to. They, they had a little bit of a cough, and they don't want coronavirus. They don't want people to get coronavirus. I'm now maybe there is some policy that needs to be implemented. Maybe we do have to come up with something. But, but w- once again, you have Bernie Sanders. Nothing on the details. We're going to pay people to to not go to work because they're on sick leave and they get to be good people because they're not exposing us to coronavirus. Does anyone think that's not going to be massively abused by people across the country? I mean, on the one hand, you already have individuals who test positive for coronavirus and then go to a school dance or go to a work meeting or whatever. So people are reckless morons in general. That's There are plenty of them out there. But now you're going to mandate from the government that there's uh, paid sick leave at a time when everyone's paranoid and freaked out about this. And you you should be paid for the days you're not working how many people want a paid vacation for two weeks? Especially if it means you're not going to have to. I mean, I'm on the subway four times a day. I am like, you know, just grinding it out here, hoping that I'm not going to get anyone coughing in my face. So I'm in a, in that sense, a high risk transmission category just because I'm riding the subway all the time. Would it be nice to be able to take two weeks off? Bruce and Mark and I can sit around drinking Mai Tais and hanging out. Sure. But what would that do to the show? What would happen to our, our sponsors and, and to to our audience? You know, people depend on the show for current events and for their daily news deep dive. Well, what happens to all that? I mean, you can either leave this up to employers in the market and individuals to figure out, or you can have a one-size-fits-all government policy that's going to have enormous ramifications and unintended consequences for businesses. That's going to happen if you do this. So it's really easy to be like, everybody should be able to stay home and get paid Okay, how much? How long? What's what's fair? Look, I mean, if Bernie wants my vote, you know what he really needs to go for? We should have a four-day work week. We should not work on Fridays. We could change that right now. We could change the world. We could change civilization. Most people are wasting like 80% of the time they're in the office just trying not to work anyway. If we condensed it to four days, this is a total non sequitur. Well, not non sequitur, but an extension of what we're just talking about. Everybody would work so much harder. Who wouldn't work harder and get more done if it meant they could have Friday off every week? I'm just saying, four-day work week. This is this any president who could get that done would probably have my vote. That would have to be a social, a transformation, though. You couldn't just have government mandate that because some places would keep working for, you know, they'd keep people working for five days. So we'd have to all agree that this is the way. And to those who say it's crazy, why do we only have two days a week off? Got to draw the line somewhere. I say we should have three off. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You got millions of people in this country today who may feel that they have a symptom. But you know what? They cannot afford to go to a doctor. And then they're going to go to work. We have a president of the United States. You know, it doesn't matter. Go to work. We have a president who says absurd things. The president hasn't told people who have coronavirus to go to work. The amount of misinformation that's out there about Trump right now, because it's a sensitive time and it's easy to capitalize on misinformation for the purposes of attacking this president. It's mind boggling what's going on. It really is. Uh, Bernie's saying that people don't have don't have health care, so they won't go to the doctor. You know, I always want to start asking, OK, at this point, with massive Medicaid expansion in all these states and with, you know, with people now able to buy in the individual market, these subsidized Obamacare plans and who are we really who are we really focusing on here as as not able to go to see a doctor at all if they think they have coronavirus? I would, I would just like to know what categorization I mean, what percentage of people really fall into not covered by Medicaid, not able to get an individual insurance plan, not able to get a work insurance plan. Where Bernie Sanders is talking about it like this is common. This is one of the one of the big myths that the people that want a government takeover of healthcare always always tell you is that it's like it's, you make it make it sound like nobody's got healthcare. Ninety percent of the country plus has healthcare coverage right now. Ninety percent plus, and if you look at the the rest of the uh, the, the percentages that aren't covered in that, uh, they're either in some crack in between being covered by Medicaid or, and being able to afford the individual market, even with the subsidies. I mean, you, you get into who is not individual, uh, or rather uh, pre-existing conditions can't block you. So who, who, well, we're always so focused on the people that can't go to the doctor because they don't have insurance. Okay, who are they and w- w- what's going on? Can we get into the specifics here? Because we spend all this money, all this money on Medicaid, all this money on government programs to make sure that everybody who is in this country legally and illegally has health care. So where is this falling down? Now, see, this is where one of the, the big myths is that we could we we could cover. We just you could just say that Medicaid is now something that everybody has in every state all across. The problem is that people realize Medicaid is not very good insurance. They're trying to shoehorn Medicaid into the existing healthcare system, and what everyone finds out is that doctors don't want to take it. The reimbursement rates are way too low. It's a government program, so there's this mandate of how much you know how much uh, you'll get paid for any kind of service. And so there's a shortage of doctors. There's a shortage of care. So you can give more and more people Medicaid. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be more able to see doctors. But Bernie doesn't he doesn't operate in the real world. He operates in the world of rhetoric. He operates in the world of make believe. So when he says that people aren't going to go to the doctor or rather people are going to go to work, even if they think they have coronavirus because Trump says so, that's just a smear. And also, who are these individuals who are not going to go to an emergency room where they have to be treated if they think they have coronavirus? That's a very unwise decision that any individual would be making when they know they are mandated to be treated if they go into an emergency room. So I I just think Bernie Sanders, he gets away with saying stuff all the time. He did this town hall at Fox yesterday. They did a good job in the town hall, but no one ever gets Bernie pinned down on any topic. It's always just rhetoric. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
let's flash forward. Your president, Bernie Sanders, is still active in the Senate. He manages to get Medicare for all through the Senate in some compromised version, the Elizabeth Warren version or, or other version. Nancy Pelosi gets a version of it through the House of Representatives. It comes to your desk. Do you veto it? I would veto anything that delays providing the security and the certainty of health care being available now. If they got that through and by some miracle, and there was an epiphany that occurred, and some miracle occurred that said, okay, it's passed, then you got to look at the cost. I want to know, how did they find the $35 trillion? What is that doing? Is it going to significantly raise taxes on the middle class, which it will? What's going to happen? Uh, look, my opposition isn't to the principle that there should be, you should have Medicare. I mean, I, everybody, health care should be a right in America. My opposition relates to whether or not, A, it's doable, to what the cost is, and what the consequences for the rest of the budget are. How are you going to find $35 trillion over the next 10 years without having profound impacts on everything from taxes for middle class and working class people, as well as, as well as the impact on the rest of the budget. So did we get an answer there from Biden about whether or not he would sign a Medicare for all bill if he were president of the United States? If the Senate managed, if the, if the Congress managed to pass what Bernie Sanders wants them to, says he wants them to, would Biden sign it? No, you got this rambling, oh, I got to talk about the cost and the this and it's, you know, not going to raise taxes and it is going to raise taxes. And why not just say, no, I, I, I would veto that. Why not just say that? Be clear. I think Bernie Sanders is right when he says, and this is not just about the Medicare for all questions, it's about everything. People deserve clear answers from Joe Biden on everything now. The Democrats should insist that he speaks with precision, such as he can, about all this stuff. Play uh, clip five. You know, I think Joe was somewhere in, uh, where was he? I don't know, Michigan or, or someplace else the other day, and he spoke for seven minutes. I don't know how you say anything other than, you know, minimal discussion in seven minutes. So all that I have always believed is that if we believe in democracy, a candidate has got to be honest with the people about what he or she believes, given the many, many challenges facing our country. And when you do that, when you're honest and you look at the hard issues, so you're going to take on the fossil fuel industry or Wall Street or the drug companies, it brings forth opposition. I know that. I get beaten up every day. That's fine. That's what I do. But all I would say is, I'm not going to criticize Joe, but to say that I think the American people in this incredibly complicated and difficult moment in our history are entitled to thoughtful answers to the crises we face. Not going to get them from Joe Biden, that's for sure. Yeah, I was there and Corn Pop was looking at my legs and I had the blonde hair on the legs from the sun and I took out a razor, but it was rusty. And I said, hey, Corn Pop, I'm from Delaware, but sometimes I like to sound like I'm from South Carolina for no apparent reason. And I just wanted it. That's what you're going to get from Joe Biden. That's where this is all heading. Uh, the media is going to cover from as much as possible. One big decision that they're going to have to make, and I mean the Biden campaign is going to have to make, is do they try to just hide him from the public whenever they can and and do a lot of very scripted and produced and safe environment stuff for Joe Biden, politically safe environment stuff for Joe Biden, um, or are they going to let him go around? I mean, he, he's we, we have the audio of it. You can't really hear. 
but he really gets into it with uh, some some union workers at a plant in Michigan. And I've listened to the audio. It's not good enough to play for you because it's just there's too much ambient noise. You can't really if you can see him, you can make it out. But over, over radio, it wouldn't it wouldn't translate. But he first of all, he says he's an armor. He says something about taking away AR-14s. I'm sorry. You're not allowed to talk about gun control and how you want to take away people's weapons that are legally owned and that are protected under the Second Amendment. You're not allowed to talk about that, or you shouldn't be allowed to talk about that, unless you know what it is you're trying to take away. There there should be a pretty basic rule of thumb here that you're only going to take away weapons from people if you know what the weapons are. If you're a politician and you want to outlaw something, you should know what you're outlawing. All right. There's no AR-14 problem in America. But this is another another place where you see liberals as part of their hatred of those who own guns. Liberals are willing to be contemptuous of facts about guns. They don't really they don't really care. It does not really matter to them that they don't understand what they're talking about because they just know guns are icky. Guns are bad. Bad people like guns. Uh, And so that's why Joe Biden, who talks about this issue he talks about you know saving lives with gun control and all this at virtue signaling i mean if you were able to take out of if you were able to remove and i mean this as, as a general proposition as a general rule if you could take the the feeling of of um well feeling of one's own ego being stroked by saying certain things about politics by taking certain political positions Seventy-five percent of the Democrat Party's platform, I think, would just would just evaporate overnight. Democrats pretend to care so much about the poor. These people don't care about the poor more than anybody else. Democrats pretend to care so much about minorities. They only care about minorities insofar as they can count on minority votes come election time and then use that power for their own purposes. Democrats pretend. I mean, you just you get on the list. All these things. Oh, they're the, they're the ones that really care. They're the ones that really care. Uh, and and as part of that, they always have to assume that people on the right, conservatives, we don't care. Which is the among the most maddening, among the most frustrating lies that are constant in our politics. An example of this is around coronavirus. I can't tell you how many people, how many libs, leftists in my Twitter feed seem to think that. I I just don't care about what happens to America with coronavirus because I'm I'm so in favor of of the Trump administration. I'm sitting here. I'm like that's just that's just a stupid lie. If this thing gets out of control and if the Trump administration is uh, responsible for bad decision making or if we can really point to something and say they messed up on this, I'm going to come out here. I'm going to say it and I'm going to be upset with them and I'm going to think there should be accountability and that accountability is going to come this fall, right? But I'm not going to get ahead of that and play their game and trash Trump when he hasn't done anything wrong. And when right now the, the crisis, at least in America, seems to be for now could change tomorrow, uh, seems to be under control in as much as it can be. Right. That's but, but they, they assume the bad faith. The same thing with climate change. Oh, I don't care about future generations. I don't care about clean air because I'm like paid off by the oil industry or something. These people are morons. I mean, Bernie Sanders said. You know, he, he, the bad guys that he's always uh, he's always attacking are fossil fuels, Wall Street and drug companies. Um, fossil fuel is 
what our economy runs on. It's what it's how poor it's how working class people get to work. It's how they have jobs. It's in the products they buy. Fossil fuels are the economy in the modern world. We are slowly transitioning out of that as efficiencies increase for other technologies. Nuclear would be the single best one, but the libs convince themselves that there's going to be like green radioactive goo that destroys the planet if we have too many nuclear facilities, right? So they they shove that aside. They're always wrong on energy stuff. They've been reliably wrong on energy, uh, fossil fuel, and other energy for the last 50 years, but we're supposed to listen to them now and have the finger wagging in our face about how we're all bought off by the fossil fuel industry. And they just have stupid arguments about this. But it's because they believe in this climate change catastrophe scenario that's just not real and one day we'll we'll be able to talk about this and they'll just say oh no we were trying to push us into this better future and it was worth it even if we were a little bit off in our calculations to try and push push the world you know they're never going to admit that they were wrong in this but we'll know that they're wrong i mean i will be an adult and i'll be talking to you at some point in the future about how they've been totally wrong on climate change and they won't admit it and here we are they were wrong all along and they still think they should get a trophy and a pat on the back so, uh, and then they, then we got the drug companies, and I think this is interesting because in the last hour I was talking to you about the border and how there hasn't been enough of a focus on the importance of border security at a time of a pandemic like this, and the importance of travel restrictions. Remember, they, the libs took Trump all the way to the Supreme Court on the tra- on the travel ban, the so-called Muslim ban, and it is that same executive authority that he used to stop the flights coming in from China which may very well end up having saved, who knows, thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of lives. But the Libs opposed that, even though it was very clear in the statutory uh, in, in, in this statutory language that the president does have that authority as the commander-in-chief. They pretended he didn't. And then they came up with some, you know, just insane, cockamamie reason why he... They said it was because he was... Uh, they didn't like what he said on the campaign trail when he's running for president. It has nothing to do with anything, but that was their claim. It was it was absurd, but they'll twist the law in any way they can if it if it suits their purposes, right? So the president has done that. But also, we've reached this point where we're now really focused on the science around all of this. And um, wait, before, I, I, I'm going to take a pause here because before I get into science and the the drug companies and all that, I, I want to start with something else. Bernie Sanders made a claim at the town hall, the Fox town hall yesterday, that I'm going to have to dive into. And it's the classic socialist lie, the biggest lie of all, which is that socialism is not really socialism. You know that uh, that saying, It's I remember it from the Usual Suspects movie, that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist, right? That's what uh, the Kaiser Soze character, spoiler alert, says at the end of the movie. Um, the greatest trick that socialism pulls is that it keeps convincing people that after it fails, it wasn't really socialism. Bernie Sanders tried that once again. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
Hi, Senator. As someone from Russia, a country that was greatly impacted by the negative effects of socialism, what assurances can you offer myself and other people impacted by socialism that democratic socialism will not have the same results? Good. Thank you for the question, Martha. Martha? Margaret. What happened and existed in the Soviet Union was not socialism. That would definitely be news to the Union of of Soviet Socialist Republics. That would be news to them. It would be news to the founders of the Soviet Union, who all spent decades in the socialist underground, not just in what then became the Soviet Union, but in Germany, in the UK, in Switzerland, bouncing all around Europe, spreading the poison of socialist ideology. It it would be news to them. It would be news to a young Yosef Zhugasvili from Georgia, who in the early days of his adult life was self-describing as a social democrat. That's right. Not even just a socialist, a social democrat, right along with Bernie Sanders. It would be a fascinating uh, experiment, or it, it would really prove the point about Bernie Sanders' politics, if we could just ask him to explain why did the so what was wrong in the Soviet Union? Why does socialism go bad? I would love to hear, and, and if somebody really drilled down on it, because I don't think he could be, I don't think he would be able to answer the question. He would have to dodge, he'd have to weave around, he'd have to, he'd just start saying, you know, Sweden, you know, Sweden's great. Look at Sweden, but Sweden is not a socialist country. It's a country with a large welfare state, high taxation, a large social welfare system, uh, but actually has an economy that runs on free market principles and in some ways is more corporate friendly and more free market friendly than America is. Same thing with Denmark. So I would like to have somebody ask Bernie Sanders, well, why was the Soviet Union not socialist? In fact, most people would argue that the great, that the most pure distillation of socialist principles ever were, in fact, the founding uh, the founding ideals of the Soviet Union. I mean, they wanted true radical equality. That was at least what they started out with. As we know, this then morphed into a class of elites who were living a completely separate and much more luxurious, although not even that luxurious, really, because they had such crappy standard of living in the Soviet Union because they couldn't produce anything. But uh, we know that it all fell apart. It turned into a nightmare. It turned into a massive, uh, a, a massive slave state, essentially, where everybody was working for the state, and, they, and the state employees became their overlords, and it was tyrannical and totalitarian. I, I wonder if Bernie Sanders, somebody should ask him, you know, have you read the great, the great anti-Soviet works? I can guarantee you Bernie Sanders has not read Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. Guarantee it. I can guarantee you Bernie Sanders has not read, if you want to bring it into the American context, Whitaker Chambers' Witness. Uh, I'm sure he has read the Communist Manifesto and a bunch of those origin documents, if you will, for communism and socialism. But he doesn't really understand because he's a true believer. He doesn't really understand why these things have failed. He does, Because if he understood why they failed, then he would have to admit that there is a common thread in all these socialist systems that is always the problem. That there is a group that thinks they have the answers, they have the plan, we, you often call it in uh, socialist analysis, 
the plan, and the plan must be instituted by the state to create equality and better living conditions for everyone according to this plan. And they need force and authority to be able to do that. And in doing so, they eliminate freedom. They take away individual choice. They remove signals from the market, most importantly, price, which is just individuals interacting freely freely with one another to their own benefit. It ignores human nature, which is rooted in self-interest, and assumes that the group or the class or the political party of experts implementing the plan know what they're doing, have the best interests of the people at heart, and understand how to implement this plan and will respond when you know to failures with better ideas. It always fails. It, it, there's a common theme to all of us. It, it always starts to collapse. And even in Sweden, Sweden was much more socialist in the 60s and 70s than it is now because they couldn't sustain the social welfare state that they had. So it really is this this uh, this theory that, oh, we can be just like Sweden. Well, OK. And, you know, if you want to be like Sweden, what you're really saying is just raise taxes a lot on the middle class. And you can go to mediocre colleges that no one else anywhere in the world wants to go to because that's what Sweden has. And you can have like reasonable health care until you're old and they don't want to spend the money on you. And then, you know, you're on your own. But you're going to pay, you know, 60% in taxes, those you make in 30, 40, 50, 60 grand, 60% in taxes. That's what Sweden is. It's not this paradise that Bernie Sanders pretends it is. All right. There's a reason why, you know, except for people from the third world and from, you know, refugee status who want to go to Sweden because it has a large welfare state. So, yeah, better to be on welfare in Sweden than be in a refugee camp in Syria. Fine. But, you know, you're noticing like the rest of the world isn't rushing to go live in Sweden. There are reasons for that. The rest of the first world isn't like, yeah, sign me up. I, I want to go and try to hack it out in Stockholm. And, you know, and ultimately it's also I don't want America to be Sweden. So even Bernie Sanders ultimate explanation here is completely not compelling for me. But he does not understand the the reasons why socialism fails. And that's why, and I think that's actually a, a von Mises, is it von Mises or Hayek, why socialism fails? Another, another good one to read, why socialism fails. He doesn't understand. And he doesn't want to understand. Because it would be effectively a repudiation of what he's been pushing for his entire life. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Actually, got mixed up there for a second. If you want to read Why Socialism Fails, it's an essay you can see at the Hoover Institute. But Hayek wrote The Fatal Conceit, The Errors of Socialism. So uh, these are all. And there's a lot of stuff from uh, von Mises. I mean, Ludwig von Mises. This is the Austrian school of economics. They all understand that these were all very, very this was a bad idea. It's a bad. It makes people feel good when they talk about it. But that's really a description of, of Bernie Sandersism. He says things that make you think he has your best interest at heart and it feels good to say, but it will not work and it will lead to disaster. Uh, Hayek is so much great stuff. Collectivist economic planning, socialism and war, the errors of socialism. But the single greatest book ever written by F.A. Hayek is The Road to Serfdom, uh, which if you it's a little dense, it's not like fun beach reading, but. Don't even give me stuff. Von Mises and producer Nick, we, we could sit around talking about this. You try to get through Von Mises, it's like trying to, you know, wade through a swamp in neck deep water. It's really slow going, man. Von Mises is not an easy read. But 
the uh, fundamental philosophy that they they ex- expand upon of free markets, free individuals, what creates prosperity, what they're they're right. Capitalism is a better system, and that Bernie Sanders is running around advocating for socialism is all is not only it's not only it's a bad idea for the country, but I want the country to know why it's a bad idea, right? So defeating it at the ballot box in the Democrat primary is not enough. We need to never be back at a place where the American people have their children, which is what's going on right now, about 60% of, of whom think that socialism is better than capitalism. It is not. Socialism is flawed state planning with force that does not achieve the goals that it seeks to achieve and suppresses dissent because the plan is the single most important thing. And this is where you get into how socialist regimes, especially if they come into being through revolution or through a coup, anybody that has a problem with what they're doing, they just shout them down and say, we're trying to achieve radical equality here. You're a counter-revolutionary. That became the primary charge used in the Soviet Union, not only because the Soviet Union became a uh, a place where they were they were eating their own all the time. It, at first, it started out with they first they went for the intellectuals, and then they went for the nobility, and then they went for university students, and they went for uh, property owners, and they went and then they started clearing out all the other socialists. The Bolsheviks started clearing out all the other uh, socialists, the Mensheviks, the social uh, social revolutionaries. The, there are all these different factions of socialists that came to power. Uh, in, during the Russian Revolution, and then the there was the liquidation of those because it was all about consolidation of power by the Bolsheviks, which is really just consolidation by a a group that then became one person, Joseph Stalin. Uh, and o- over time, that is in fact what happened, and, and you even had the Soviets track down some of their initial heroes like Trotsky, who. Ended up with an ice axe in the back, uh, ice axe in the back of his head in Mexico City, at the hands of the Soviets because they wanted to eliminate anybody that realized that this revolution. They always will say the revolution has been hijacked. That's what the so. It's a version of oh, socialism isn't real socialism. The revolution was hijacked. No, when you empower people to make decisions for other people and to and based on your belief in the infallibility of your ideals, that you are no longer accountable to those people and what you do to them in using the power you have because you're trying to achieve something greater, that is where the tyrannical hand of socialism shows itself. Again, Bernie Sanders just does not know this. And and that he would try to get away with this old dodge that the Soviet Union wasn't socialism is absurd. And you might say, well, Buck, it's communism, right? Well, communism is is merely a branch of socialism that takes socialism to its, its logical ends. Right. It, it's you need to have a group of people if you're really going to do this thing, if you're really going to have radical equality, you're going to have a, a group of people that are making these decisions to institute the plan. And if you're a true class warrior, you're going to tell everybody that all their needs will be met, but everybody's going to be the same. And to do that, you have to suppress individual ingenuity. You have to forget that individuals have different levels of gifts. Individuals have different skills and work ethic and and honor and decency. And, you know, all, all these we have all these different traits, all these different uh, things that we either develop or that we're quite honestly we're born with in some cases and we're not all the same socialism communism seeks to make us all the same and to have the power to even try to do that is well putting us all on a road to serfdom bar from Hayek. Hayek that's what ends up happening the state controls you the state owns you because they've got this better idea and this is why it leads it leads to disaster
I also think that uh, Sanders doesn't uh, doesn't have any familiarity with uh, the Great Purge. Uh, he does not understand Soviet history. He has not read Robert Conquest. He, as I as I mentioned, he has not read Solzhenitsyn. I don't think that Bernie has an understanding of, of Dostoevsky. And then this is a guy that went to the Soviet Union basically for his honeymoon, right? So you'd th- and, and he's been talking about the Soviet Union for a very long time. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know. He still believes the initial propaganda that the Soviets were using. Remember, Soviets were little collectives. And that's said. They were little councils. That's why when I saw Occupy Wall Street and the people doing the the sort of twinkly fingers thing and all these different community organizer groups coming together and talking about direct democracy. A lot of that rhetoric of just groups of councils of people coming together to make all the decisions uh, and and their overriding ethos was about radical equality. That's very similar to what you had in the early days of the, the Soviet is a, is a commune. The, there were Soviets all over even before the Soviet Union came together. And it was a it was a council of people, a council of socialists. That's what a Soviet is. And then there are all these different councils got consolidated into the Bolshevik Soviet. And then guess what? They're like, we're just going to run everything now. Thank you. It's been fun. It was nice to pretend that you guys were all going to get a say in things. But if you get in the way, you're a counter revolutionary. You have to be destroyed. Uh, I, I've been rereading recently, which is probably why it's uh, front of mind, the Gulag Archipelago. One, I've said to you before that Orwell's 1984 is the most important English, la- English language book written in the 20th century, which I think is definitely a strong case. Now, you can argue with that. You can say, no, there's something else. That's fine. But I think there's a strong case to be made that 1984 is the most important English language book of the 20th century. Um, Gulag Archipelago is definitely in the top five, and it may be number two. Road to Serfdom might actually be in the top five as well, but Gulag Archipelago is something that you have to read to really understand how the system and, and why people like me have a such an aversion to government authority, government power, the bureaucracy, thinking that the experts always know better, thinking that if only you give these uh, government figures more time and more authority, they'll be able to fix all the problems. They're wrong. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, so what is the latest on the coronavirus, uh, the outbreak response in this country? You've got a few dozen who have died from this. Uh, They are, I think, exclusively people who are over the age of 70, which is right in line with the high-risk population assessments that everyone has been talking about all along. But we have to protect our seniors. We have to protect people who are are older because this this disease is particularly dangerous to them. And that's really where the the focus should be of our efforts of of in terms of medical care and and preventing the spread uh, of it. Um, Interestingly enough, you know, the the Trump administration has been getting so much. You have a lot of of this. Uh, You have a lot of like Nicole Wallace, who is who is a. I don't know who at MSNBC likes her or thinks that she should have a TV show. I don't under, I honestly just don't understand why. She's a deeply unimpressive person in every respect. Says very uh, reckless and dumb things on television on a regular basis. I, I don't get it, but, you know, she does. If you're a former Republican who all you do is trash Republicans now, I, I think that's such a it's such a it's such a gross place for people to be. I mean, I know everyone's got to make a living, a living. Everyone's got a mortgage to pay and all that. But there are better ways to do it than to turn on what you, as an adult, claim to have been fighting for your whole life, right? And then you just sell it all out because you want a, a paycheck from MSNBC. 
but Wallace said she she's indicative of the kind of stuff you're hearing right now when it comes to criticism about the Trump administration's response. Uh, play 20, producer Mark. So this is one of those things that I wish we were wrong about, people who are critical and um, who see the flaws. This is one of those ones where when Donald Trump says, oh, a miracle is going to take Corona away, that's like the one in a million things where I'm like, oh, I wish he were right. Yeah. But the, the problem, and, and look, here, here's the other thing. I mean, we have a global pandemic and he's liar, liar, pants on fire, president, who saw this coming? I mean, this was where it was always going to land. Right. We were always going to need him to have more credibility on the world stage, to level with us and to be more confident than he is when our health and our family's health was on the line. And, and sadly, it took something like this, I think, to even shake the confidence of some members of his base. The virus doesn't have a political affiliation. That's a perfect distillation of what the lib politicized message is about the Trump response. You know, yeah, we were maybe, like, wrong about all the other things, about, like, Russia collusion and whatever. Like, we wouldn't admit that, but, like, clearly, like, that hasn't worked. But, like, now we're finally here. This time we mean it. Like, Donald Trump is, like, so bad at taking care of coronavirus that, you know, yeah. And so now, now they're finally, you know, this time it's different. This time it's unavoidable that he's and I sit around thinking what exactly is the they keep saying he's lied about this they, they say this all the time I mean it, it actually and I know some people said when this came up on the Bill Maher show I, I should have just I, you know drilled into this and, and really started shouting back when they were yelling over me and everything else how do you argue with somebody who just thinks that that all they have to do is say that Trump lies and if you ask them about what they just start yelling louder trump lies trump lies that's it what 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 does what has he lied about because if they tell you what the lies are then you can actually push back and say hold on a second he's not you really think that he's calling this a hoax he has meetings about it every day and he never says it's a hoax in the meetings public you know public uh forums where he's discussing this you know he's giving press conferences about this thing never says it's a hoax but you're just going to walk around saying he's called it a hoax? That's a, that's a stupid thing, right? That's a dumb thing to say. They've tried that, but just they will shout, he lies. It is a bit like having, and I really mean this, Democrats in the era of Trump, it's a little bit like sitting down with somebody who is, who is emotionally disturbed and says that there is a bad man at my window. And you say, no, 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 I'm here with you. I'm, I'm looking at your I'm looking at your window. There's no one out there. You know, we're on the, the 10th floor. There's no one at your window and there's no bad man at the window. And they look at you and they get mad. Yes, there is. There's a bad man at my window. That is debating Democrats in the era of Trump. What do you do? H- how do you win that argument? There isn't a bad man at the window. What are you talking? About? Yes, there is. Well, what has Trump not done well about or what has Trump not done to the satisfaction of liberals in terms of action around coronavirus? He lies. Okay, what does that mean? What has he lied about that has affected the response to coronavirus? You you won't get an answer. In fact, Gavin Newsom, who's generally a rather slimy and dishonest political character, but look, balls and strikes. It's a promise I always make to you. I call it like it is. And when someone says the right thing, I say it's the right thing. When someone does a good thing, I say that too, even if I think they're generally terrible. 
This is what Gavin Newsom said about President Trump's assistance and, and communication to the state of California to deal with this. Play clip one. Over the past couple of days, President Trump has said that he would prefer if none of the passengers aboard these cruises landed on U.S. soil. Did he mention any of that to you in your conversation? Yeah, we had a we had a private conversation, but he said we're going to do the right thing, and you have my support, uh, all of our support, uh, logistically and otherwise. So I, before he made those statements publicly, I had a private conversation with him around 4:30 uh, West Coast time, uh, and he said everything. Uh, that I could have hoped for. Uh, and we had a very long conversation. Uh, and every single thing he said, they followed through on. So I'm, I'm just not interested in, in finding daylight uh, on those statements because uh, every single thing, his administration, and it starts at the top, uh, including the vice president, uh, has been consistent with uh, the expectation that we repatriate these passengers and we do it in a way that does justice to the spirit that defines the best of our country and the state of California. I mean, give give the man credit for that. It's a that was a, a fair minded statement. How many politicians have you heard of like like Governor Inslee from Washington, like a jerk after Pence called him to see how things were going up there? Because Washington's been hit really hard by coronavirus so far. A lot of fatalities there. Uh, like a jerk. Inslee goes on Twitter to make fun of, of Pence and the administration right after they're trying to help him out. And people say, oh, see, he's calling out the no, he's being he's being an idiot. Gavin Newsom, I think, is wrong and terrible on a whole lot of things. But here he's his tone here and, and his response when the media is trying to bait him into trashing Trump because of the princess. What was it called? The princess um, something cruise, whatever it is. Diamond princess. Is that right? Anyway, yeah, whatever. Producer Mark is our cruise expert. Um, yeah, they, they would talk about the cruise. And that was a that was a Trump moment. Right. Trump goes, look, I wish they didn't have to land here. It just means our numbers are going to go up. And I was oh, look what he said about that. And he's crazy. And, uh, Look, he's just being Trump. He was just sort of speaking off the cuff. He didn't, didn't mean anything. Coordinated with California. They dealt with it properly. Everything was done well. But see, this is this is where there's a huge disconnect between, li- between libs, the left, and those of us that appreciate what President Trump has been doing, not just on coronavirus, but in general. I look at what he does and what the impact of it is. They look at how he said the thing that he was going to do. Like, what were the words around the issue, Right. You know, it would be kind of like if I was sitting here and I I had a relative that was about to have heart surgery and before the heart surgery, the doctor comes up to me and he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes you got to pull out a heart and like make it beat and you got to put it back in and bada bing, bada boom. And it's like, oh, my gosh, did you hear? Well, if he goes in there and he does a perfect heart surgery, my relative is now going to live 10 or 15 years longer because of it. Do I care how we talked about it beforehand? Why am I supposed to care? This is the separation that libs and the left have from the rest of us on Trump. And and they act like we're crazy because we say, okay, he did the right thing. Why do you keep trying? You know, because they want to be right so badly about him. Because to have to walk back all the things they've said about Trump, and he's a traitor and Russia and all this stuff, it's just too much. It's too much for their egos to bear. When people's egos are involved, it makes everything a whole lot more complicated. And the left's collective, I like using that word for them, the left's collective ego is completely invested in Trump being terrible. And so they'll never walk that back. They'll never they'll never tone that down because it would mean that they've been wrong this whole time and that they've been irresponsible in what they've been saying and how they've been assessing this president. So that's that's my uh, 
my sense of that with, with Gavin Newsom, I mean, you know, he, he said exactly the right thing, which is that they did the right stuff by us, and I'm not going to play this game right now. Now, tomorrow Newsom will probably say something terrible about the administration, but in that soundbite, I was like, oh, wow, he can be reasonable. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I know President Trump will dismiss these criticisms and accuse Democrats of playing politics. That's what he always does when there's legitimate criticism. Because in President Trump's world, there's no such thing as a legitimate criticism of his administration. But I would tell President Trump, we don't criticize your administration for the sake of it. We criticize because we want the administration's response to get better. And we are afraid that if we don't speak up, If we don't point out the problems publicly and push the administration to change its method of operation, it won't change at all. Chuck Schumer's a liar. Whatever you think of Trump, whether you think Trump is truthful or not, let's just all be very clear. Chuck Schumer's a liar. Uh, The guy has no honor whatsoever. He'll say anything. He's all about power, all about Chuck Schumer, all about appeasing you know, his donors and his constituency. He does not stand for what is good and righteous and decent at all. So now that we've established that, let's also keep in mind there's nothing that Chuck Schumer has said. I mean, I saw, what was it, a week ago, he put out some tweet about things that Trump should do. I was like, none of that is going to stop this from happening, stop the coronavirus from coming to America, from spreading in America. It was just a lot of a lot of talking points, a lot of just, you know, lips flapping with nothing important happening. And that's why when he says, oh, well, Trump will dismiss this. Yeah, he should dismiss it because it is bad faith criticism that's what's happening here that is what schumer and others like him are engaged in they don't have ways of trying to help solve this problem one of the areas where i think there should be much more focus than there has been um is is on the the silver bullet scenario for this is that there is a treatment that's highly effective in at least preventing the pneumonia from setting in that's what's killing people it's the pneumonia it's the infection that that spreads to the lungs, the stuff in the throat and the nasal, and that's all like you know flu slash cold symptoms. It's when it gets into the lungs that older people are are dying from this. They have uh, either they're either drowning from the inside out or they have organ organ failure, mass mass uh, other organs fail. So we're at this point where people are realizing that the CDC is not going to come up with a cure. They've come up with a test, but they're not going to come up with a cure. Uh, if you're going to look for a cure or a treatment, where are you going to have to look? You're going to have to look to the private sector. Oh, the far, the pharmaceutical companies that we're always told are, you know, terrible and gouging people and awful. You know, now is the moment where, you know, pharmaceutical companies, all of a sudden, we're really happy that we have these multi-billion dollar ultra conglomerates with super high high speed researchers who are looking into this stuff, you know, microbiologists, people that have skills that can't just be easily replicated by anybody else off the street. They have real knowledge, real expertise. And I'm mean, looking at some of that at the CDC, too. I'm not saying that, but there's there's uh, an understanding that this is probably going to come from the private sector. The private sector is where you'll have some kind of a vaccine or treatment. Treatment might be sooner than vaccine, because if you can just prevent the uh if you can just you know, prevent the pneumonia from killing people, then this becomes just a treatable, still very expensive, debilitating infection. But it, you got to stop it from from being able to uh, attack the lungs without having any real treatment against it. The vaccine would prevent, of course, the infection entirely. That would be the dream scenario. But we're 
I mean, we're at least a year to 18 months from that. We're probably like 18 months from it. Everyone keeps assuming that the vaccines will work. Maybe not. How's that cold vaccine coming along? You know, the one that doesn't exist? Now, people say there's hundreds of different kinds of colds. Yeah, I know, but do you have a vaccine for any of them? Um, I know there are influenza vaccines, but they guess. They change constantly. They don't always get it right, and it doesn't always prevent you from getting influenza. So the influenza vaccine is not perfect either. Uh, but Sanders is is just running around saying stuff that's not true about all this. Play 15, Mark. Bill, Bill. Goes without saying that the United States must work with scientists around the world to aggressively develop a vaccine for the corona, uh, coronavirus. Uh, the Trump administration has suggested, as some of you know, uh, that the vaccine might be too costly for some people to afford. How vulgar, obscene is that idea? You're rich, you can get the vaccine. You're poor, you can't get the vaccine. You're going to die, you're going to live, so that the drug companies can make their outrageous profits not acceptable to the American people. When that vaccine is developed, and it must be developed as quickly as we can, working with folks all over the world, obviously, it should be made free to every person in this country, and in fact, every person in the world. Make it free, he says. Hmm. Why do we have this huge healthcare system with all these insurance plans if we're just going to make it free? Wouldn't that and and what drug company? See, Bernie doesn't understand cause and effect. The drug companies right now are burning through money to try and come up with a vaccine. The reason they're burning through that money, yeah, I'm sure they have some sense of public good, but they're burning through the money with the hope that they're going to be able to develop a vaccine that they can actually make back the money they've spent and then some on this. This is how capitalism works. Bernie doesn't like that. Now, do I think that maybe we should consider having the, you know, having the government cover, you know, cover the cost of it in this in this instance through what would effectively be a bailout of whichever whichever uh, big pharma company comes up with a vaccine? You know, maybe, but you got to get money for the companies. And it can't just be some price that the government sets as, yeah, well, this is what we're going to give you. But, you know, why not have the market, uh, you know, peop- there, there's going to be a way to make plenty of money off of this because people, millions and millions and millions of people are going to want a vaccine. What do we think is more likely that companies that are thinking about whether or not they're going to put their scientists and put their capital into the, into this process are more likely to do it if there's a profit motive or less likely to do it if it's just Bernie Sanders saying we're going to make it free? And keep in mind, even if it were the government writing a check. Let's say the government put out, and a bounty system is something that people have talked about for cures and vaccines. And there's definitely a, there's a case to be made that you should just say, okay, whoever cures coronavirus, we're going to give you, think about what the cost would be. I mean, if you could cure coronavirus, the government should say, we'll give you, 10, we'll write you a check for $10 billion. That would be that would chump changed compared to what the cost would be if this continues on and, and spreads out of control, right? But keep in mind, that's just giving taxpayer money to the uh, to the ins- uh, the not insurer, the uh, pharmaceutical company. So the money is being transitioned either way. It's just whether the government does it or whether the market does it. The alternative would be what they could do in the Soviet Union, where they say, "Come up with a, you know, what they would have done back in the day. You know, come up with a cure. Our scientists are working on it, but there will be no money for it. We'll just pay them what we always pay them." 
Yeah, that's why you didn't have a lot of a lot of great disease cures coming out of the Soviet Union. Bernie does not understand the cause and effect of markets and incentives. Doesn't get it. And it is interesting to me that after all the beating up we've done on big pharma, and you know some of that is deserved, every industry has their bad actors. Every industry has their excesses, whether it's Wall Street or big pharma or you know the energy companies or you know whoever. Media, good God. Everyone has their has their downsides and their problems. But if we're going to have large numbers of lives saved because of a genius new treatment or even an early stage or, or, or uh, rapidly developed vaccine, it's going to be from the private sector. It's going to be from people that benefit from this or else they just, you know, this is a, this is why understanding the root failures of socialism is so important because, OK, it's not that people are bad people, but I'm sure some drug companies will be like, you know what? Look, somebody else will come up with this. There'll be somebody with government funding. They'll do it. We don't want to do it. We got we got our own families to feed. We got our own problems to deal with. That's that's the reality of of life of the system, and you know Bernie Sanders just still does not get it, does not understand. Um, now then, this brings me into another place where we're going to have some interesting political back and forth. Should there be bailouts? Should there be bailouts because of the coronavirus panic? I'll get to it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're going to be meeting with uh, House Republicans, Mitch McConnell, everybody, and discussing a possible payroll tax uh, cut or relief, substantial relief, very substantial relief. That's a big, that's a big number. Uh, we're also going to be talking about hourly wage earners getting uh, help so that they can uh, be in a position where they're not going to ever miss a paycheck. We're going to be working with uh, companies and small companies, large companies, a lot of companies, so that they don't uh, get penalized for something that's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's not our country's fault. Uh, this was something that we were thrown into, and we're going to handle it, and we have been handling it very well. The big decision was early when we shut down our borders. We're the first ones ever to do that. We've never done that in our country before. Should we be bailing out individual individual companies here should we be bailing out industries now there is going to be an argument and you're going to see a lot of people who are particularly never trumpers will love this one why should the government be in this game of picking winners and losers uh we've done it before there has been a pretty clear uh on on both sides of this there's been a pretty clear history of the government deciding that certain people Certain people, certain industries are too important. Like General Motors, government bailout. A government bailout that we should note violated contracts and just said, no, we're the government. This is what we're going to do. The bondholders are going to get screwed. We're going to give all this money to the unions. That's what the, that's what the GM bailout did because that was good politics for Obama and the Obama administration. So this is now politics dictating the market, which we are. Un- I'm uncomfortable with. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that this isn't something that raises some issues. You know, it, it's also sometimes when there's a natural disaster and people are told, well, the federal government's going to come in and write you a check because, you know, your house got swept away in a flood or something. OK, well, did you have flood insurance? If you don't have flood insurance, you might want to ask the question, what was what's the point of flood insurance? If the federal government is expected to come in and give you back your house or give you back a check. 
and I, and I know this is very uncomfortable for people, but okay, so if your house burns down and you don't have fire insurance, no one's going to, the federal government's not going to write you a check. But if, you know, 50 houses all burn down because of a wildfire, the federal government is supposed to write checks to everybody? You know, look, there's there's uh, some problems here. If you're really somebody who believes in the free market and limited government, there are some, there are some issues, clearly, uh, that are at work um, when it comes to this whole situation, right? There's there, That's a real thing um, that you're just doing this because of politics. That's what's really going on here. Uh, and this is where, you know, the, the farmer bailout, for example. Now, the argument I understand would be, like, let, let's start with the farmer bailout. Because Trump engaged in national-level trade policy and there was a retaliation specifically targeted against farmers because of national-level decision out of the hands of the farmers, the federal government had an obligation to assist farmers in the midst of that trade war. That's the basic. But let's understand that that means that you know anybody who's affected by federal government policy on any issue could say, well, this wasn't really up to me. This wasn't really my decision, uh, this was the federal government, so they have an obligation to now pay for this, to make this problem go away for me. I think that's, I, I know that that's a bad precedent to set. It's a bad precedent to set. And we had a terrible precedent set in 2008 when, not just with the bank bailouts, but you had Goldman Sachs, for example, which had tremendous connections into both the Bush and Obama administrations, but particularly Bush administration. Hank Paulson was a former Goldman Sachs guy. Lehman Brothers dies, Goldman Sachs lives. Not only does Goldman Sachs live, Goldman Sachs was bailed out by the federal government because AIG was its counterparty for what they call counterparty risk. Goldman Sachs, because of the bailout, bailout of AIG, got 100 cents on the dollar for its obligations. Didn't even take a haircut, as they say. Didn't even take a loss on that the bailed out portion of what the government did. Why was that fair? You know, why did you have these these banks that were given all of this uh, given all of this money initially, and you know some of them some of them have been allowed to fail. Others were told you got to take this this TARP right. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah, no TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program. Uh, you know that that was a, a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. That oh okay, so the banks made all this money. And some of these banks should go under, but because they would hurt so many people if they went under, we're now going to have taxpayers prop them up, save them, and then they're going to go back to making a ton of money because they were able to make a lot of money before, and now they're going to make a lot of money again, and the government picking winners and losers. The lack of moral hazard was a real concern there. Now, you know, airlines in particular, I think people are looking at them right now and saying, no, I'm not. You guys know how I feel about cruise ships. So I'm not going to. And if anyone's a cruise ship employee listening to this, I'm sorry that I, to be fair, I've never really dabbled in in being a customer for your industry. So maybe I don't even really know much, but I'm not a cruise ship guy. And airlines make everybody pretty, pretty angry uh, on a regular basis. Airlines really just make decisions that are. Yeah, they're 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 pinching pennies everywhere they can, doing everything that they can to, at your expense. The airlines are making money all the time. They'll get you from point A to point B. Other than that, though, it's kind of a free for all, and whatever crap you have to put up with, they don't really care. So there's a little bit of Schadenfreude right now from a lot of people about the air. Now, that I understand this is where the economists would show up and say that's very short short term thinking. Airlines are going to have to jack up prices to make up for these losses once there are more people who want to fly. But 
okay, the airlines are having a tough time. Why shouldn't they just have to tighten up their belts and you know ride it out, so to speak? And this is where you get into the Trump administration realizes that keeping industry going, keeping that perception of a strong economy, uh, keeping that going is very important for re-election. The Trump administration understands that. And so they're going to use what they can here. Talking about a payroll tax uh, holiday. You know, Paul Krugman, of course, he's he's come out, you know, the classic Krugman thing. He's just like, we should they should just send everybody checks in the mail. Just send people money to spend. That that's a great way to do this. I mean, essentially like a short term UBI is what Paul Krugman's now advocating. As opposed to at least a payroll tax cut where people that are working get to keep more of their money instead of just everybody gets checks from the government. That's a precedent that they do want to set, I would note. They're, they're, they're hoping to find a way to get to the point where the government just has to give money, can just give money to people it wants to give money to without any questions asked. And then it's then it's just left to be, what's the right number for that? What's the fair number? So you're, you're going to have you're going to have bailouts and they're going to be big. Uh, the bailouts will be considerable. Um, and there are a lot of, and I, I do not have a, a particularly strong free market conservatism argument about why there should be bailouts, other than this is the this is the game of politics right now. This is what's going on. And if Trump wants to win re-election, he knows he's got to keep these help keep these industries afloat. You can make the argument that you know this is a national crisis that we have a a need to keep these industries going for not just commercial, but even, you know, defense purposes. We need an aviation industry that's strong. We need, uh, you know, we need all this stuff. Fine. Okay. At the end of the day, though, we're going to, we're going to have to deal with the truth of the situation, which is that the administration will in fact be picking winners and losers. And there are going to be big bailouts where taxpayer cash is handed over to certain companies. And there are going to be a lot of claims of favoritism and who knows who and which CEO had dinner with Ivanka a month ago or whatever. I mean, there's going to be all of that. And we're going to be playing a little, we're going to be playing a little bit of defense on it. Don't make no mistake about it. Anybody that supports the president's going to have to say, look, we're trying to keep these industries alive. We're also going to be able to say, what did Obama do with General Motors again? Oh, yeah, that's right. And Democrats love that. So I'm there's hypocrisy, no question, in the criticism. But I'm just saying both sides now do this. This is a both sides thing, bailing out favored industries with taxpayer cash. It's not a particularly conservative small government approach. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for roll call. So I had uh, I had company uh, with me over the weekend. I'll I may, maybe start sharing more about my private life than I have in a while on the show. But I had uh, some lovely company over the weekend, and I did watch. Um, Dirty Dancing for the first time ever. I'd never seen that movie. I was not alone, so let's not. I don't need to hear any of the wisecracks about, you know, why we're watching Dirty Dancing. I was at the request of a lady, but because uh-huh. I, I told her I'd never seen it, so we watched Dirty Dancing. Have you ever seen it? I haven't. That's actually my wife's favorite movie, and I've somehow avoided ever seeing it. Really? Yeah. How I do just... you avoid... How is, how is Ariel, how is Mrs. Mark loving that movie so much, I... and you avoid... I mean... I just found. I'm not married. I'm not even engaged, and I was told that it's time to see it. So we're packing, and I just found a DVD of it too. 
Hmm. So like we have it in the house, and I just somehow. I will. I will uh, save you a little bit here in, in telling you. Um, you will not like it. It's not good. It's well, not I mean, that it's, it's not fine good. Movie, but, yeah. It's fine for what it is. Put aside the politics because an abortion is kind of central to the whole thing. But anyway, uh, but just as a, as a piece of entertainment. The music is good, I will say that. Sure. And the only thing I will say that's cool about watching it is if you watch, if you've never seen Dirty Dancing before and you watch it, or if you haven't seen it in a long time and you watch it, you can go back and watch the uh, the movies that made us on Netflix, which is a 40-minute behind the scenes of how they made it. It's kind of crazy that they pulled this thing together. It was basically this company that specialized in VHS rental um, that... I think it's called like Valtron or something. I forget. I forget what it's called. But uh, they they uh, decided they were going to make a movie, and this was the first movie they had ever made. So they just like they went from being a VHS director rental country to being a being I mean, director rental company rather country uh, to to saying that okay, we're actually just going to make a movie. We've never done this before. We have no idea what we're doing. And the first movie they made was Dirty Dancing, which is pretty amazing. You know what that sounds like, right? What? Netflix. Oh, with- uh, with uh, Everything. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It went from uh, being the DVD rental company to this media conglomerate. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. You're right, actually. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Netflix's first show, House of Cards, was a, a huge, a huge hit. So just the, the story of it- um, you know the story of it alone is really is really interesting, and also how it was super low low budget. Um, it was a low budget movie, four million dollars. Wow, that's that, nothing in today's terms. Yeah, and four million dollars in 1987, it made over two hundred million dollars wow. around the world. Um, so I thought that I'm trying to find the name of the uh, of the because they made a few other movies after it that were. Utterly horrible, and the company shut down in a few. In a few, Vestron. I said Valtron. Vestron was the name of the company, uh, and it's just fun to watch the story of how they pulled this whole thing together because they they got lightning in a bottle the first time out, and then it was just disaster after disaster. I'd probably be more interested in that than watching the movie. That, well, no, that's a, I, I I liked watching the movie just because then I could watch the behind the scenes and understand more of it. And there's just there's just some great stuff. I mean. You know, you also see how, like, the, the budget constraints that they had, how they were able to... They took over, like, a boys' summer camp for a while and pretended that that was the the resort. supposed to be, like, this fancy mm-hmm. resort. Because you think about it, you're like, it wasn't a very fancy-looking resort in some of the scenes. Anyway, uh, I'd never seen Dirty Dancing before, so I did watch it. I did watch it over the weekend, which was fun. Um, all right. Roll call. Enough of the... Enough of these hungry eyes. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to do it. Although, Hungry Eyes, you can find yourself singing it in the shower if you're not careful. It can happen. Don't worry, Producer Mark. I'm going to save you. I'm not going to- Please don't. I'm not going to do this to you today. All right. Rick, I was surprised when you said political science wasn't a science. Just about politics? That's 19th century thinking. Modern political science is more science than political. I'm a political scientist. Special relativity is the crux of my philosophies. When we don't like, when we don't understand special relativity, humans are inclined to believe in fantasy like socialism. Um, okay, Rick. I mean, I, I still stand behind a political science isn't science. They can try to science it up. But it's not. It's not actually science. Um, and uh, most people I know who are 
PhDs who teach political science will, will admit that. And that's why they call it, at Harvard, for example, politics. They don't call it political science for that reason. Diane, hey, Buck, noise pollution is the worst. I have a problem with incessant beeping, probably left over from four years in a fast food restaurant in my early 20s. I can hear beeps other people don't even notice. As for whistling, have you heard of Roger Whitaker? Very talented singer who did a lot of whistling in his songs. My, my mom was a huge fan of his in the 80s, so I took her to one of his concerts in 1989. I'm guessing you'd rather slam your head in a door than listen to him. Great show. Love you and producer Mark. You guys cracked me up. Thanks, Diane. I've never heard of Roger Whitaker, um, but uh, we do agree that noise pollution is the worst. Um, so, yeah, that's a real thing. Noise pollution is, in fact, the worst. And I also find that people who are too loud, I have a very low tolerance for that. Kent writes, you play the Biden clip where he recently called himself an Obama-Biden Democrat. Did you realize he actually said Obama-Obama Democrat? So many gaffes, a little time. Uh, did he say that, Kent? I don't. Is that right? So, folks, you want to nominate a Democrat, a lifelong Democrat, a proud Democrat, an Obama-Obama Democrat? Join us. Wow, good catch. He does make so many gaffes. I didn't. I didn't even catch that one the first time around. An O'Biden, O'Biden, Obama Democrat. <laughs> They're just going to tell you that none of this is something you have to pay any attention to. What? I noticed you didn't catch that yesterday. I was shocked. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess. I guess it's just. Yeah. Now that I now that I hear it, I can't believe I missed it. But yeah, that's that's a perfect example of what we're talking about here with Biden all the time. He's look. He seems kind of confused. Joe. Buck, considering the current status of the coronavirus effect on the USA, the Trump administration and the stock market sell off uh, from the panic, is it possible that China wargamed the release of the virus for short-term pain versus long-term gain by helping to get rid of Trump with the predictable help of Democrats and the despicable media? It couldn't have worked out better for China so far. You know, Joe, I, I, I can tell you, I read a little bit of an analysis of this. Um... And I think this is interesting. The There's this uh, theory about lab escape from the Wuhan Virology Institute in Wuhan, China. And there have been some people who have written about this, uh, that SARS-CoV-2 may have been accidentally spread by China's National Biosafety Laboratory at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where there is an ongoing and active study of bat viruses, which it is believed that Corona. This coronavirus, COVID-19, is originally from bats, although it may have through, I think it's called zoonotic transmission, gone from bat to pangolin to human. In the past, I believe it has gone from bat to civet to human. I mean, you really got to know the animal kingdom well to keep up with all this stuff. So there is this theory about lab escape. Uh, the lab is less than t the virology lab in Wuhan is less than 10 miles away from the seafood market where the first cluster of COVID-19 cases were discovered. Um, and keep in mind that after the outbreak in 2003 of SARS, the SARS, co uh, the SARS coronavirus escaped from virology labs multiple times in the past in China. So this has happened before in China. And 
there was also this uh, description of how the Chinese virologist and bioweapons expert Major General Chen Wei went to the Wuhan Institute of Virology with military Cyrus, uh, scientists rather in January to study the new virus. So, I mean, you know, it's like I said, it's a big coincidence if there's nothing to see here, but we have this virology institute in Wuhan that keeps these different viruses for hundreds of different viruses for study, including possibly for, for use as bioweapons. And near there, you have a cluster of cases. So it's not that, that the Virology Institute would have let this go intentionally, but someone could have been infected at the Virology Institute, gone to the market, and infected a bunch of people, and that's how this happened. That's that's really the more likely theory, and it's just a theory. Uh, but that this has hap- that has happened before should also factor into our thinking here, that the Virology Institute in Wuhan did result in accidental contamination or a- accidental transmission to people uh, with a SARS virus, which is very similar to what we have here with COVID-19, that's, I'm j- I think you just have to take account of that. I think you do. So there we have it. Um, let's see here. Kent. Oh, no, that was, we just did that one. Joe. But considering the current status of the coronavirus effect on the USA, Trump administration and the stock market... Oh, this is the war game question. Yeah, I, I don't think that they war game this one out because it's hit them harder than it's hit us, so that wouldn't that doesn't strike me as likely. This is a moment, though, where we can take a step back and recognize that bioweapons are something we do need to take very seriously. Imagine for a moment a rogue state was able to engineer, because that can be done, engineer a virus so that it had a long incubation period and a super high fatality rate, right? So you have the virus, you can spread it, you can shed it for, let's say, three weeks. And then once the onset of symptoms comes along, you have you know a 50% for, uh, fatality rate, which is similar to the fatality rate for cholera. So there are diseases where you know, Ebola has an 80% untreated fatality rate. So you're probably going to die if you get Ebola. Uh, if they could... If they could come up with a virus like that and also were able to keep secret a treatment protocol for it for their own people, think of the devastation that a weapon like that could uh, could wreak on a uh, uh, or, or could create for another country. Right. Think about what that could really mean. And it's this is not impossible this could happen now i don't think fortunately the rogue states out there aren't particularly advanced when it comes to these issues but you know north korea even though it's a poor country spends a lot of money on very advanced missiles and military technology and all kinds of stuff what little money they they have as a nation state gets spent on very nefarious things and once you're willing to go on the black market to get things now i know this sounds like a brad thor novel or something but there's a reason why those novels sell so well Right, because there is a, a reality that much of this is rooted in. So, bioweapons uh, are a major are a major concern going forward. They should be a major concern, if not for nation state actors, certainly for for terrorist groups. And look what this, which seems to be a naturally occurring virus, look what this has done to the to the world, the whole world. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. Uh, continuing on with roll call, we got Justin writes, Dear Buck, am I the only one just a little excited to see a corn pop style rant come out of Joe Biden during a national debate? 
His skin is so thin, I don't think Trump would really have to try all that hard to get him there. Not only would this be entertaining, but would show voters who haven't really been paying attention up to this point how seemingly nuts Biden is. Shields high. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Biden will probably try to keep it together a little bit more on the debate stage against Trump. But, you know, you're never really, never really totally sure on that one. We'll see. Uh, I think Biden-Trump debates are going to be amazing. Amazing. And I'm looking forward to them. I'm, I'm going to watch every minute of those, I can tell you that. Chrissy and Pete. Don't out my face, okay, buddy? Yeah. Buck, we're a husband and wife truck driving team that travels the entire country, usually five to six states a day. We spend six weeks out here, and then we stop for four or five days and do it again. The corona BS is just that. We stop in truck stops and shower, eat, and sleep daily, all public places. In 99% of the country, you have no idea what corona is because you can't see people. You, you have nothing with people living like they live every other day. Only in the whacked-out liberal cities do you hear and see anything about it. All we can say is folks need to get a life and turn off the libs before the libs drive the world nuts. Obviously, their goal. Love the show. Well, Chrissy and Pete, stay safe on the road. Thank you for uh, being a the lifeblood of commerce in America. Truckers, bringing us the stuff we need all over the country, everywhere. Um, Elton. Love your show. Really enjoy your imitations and how producer Mark keeps you in check. Yeah, you don't have to worry. Producer Mark enjoys that, too. I do agree with you, though. Marvel movies are low rent and cheesy. He's just trying to buy off producer Mark with that nice comment before he goes in for the kill with the Marvel comment. I know what's up. In last night's show, you referred to a Catholic church being as large as a cathedral. While most cathedrals are large, it's the presence of the bishop's chair that makes a church a cathedral, which means that a small shed could be a cathedral if it contained a bishop's chair referred to as the cathe. All this from a uh, backsliding Baptist who raised two kids in the Catholic church, Shields High. No, Elton, I I, I know what a cathedral is. I'm just saying that, you know, usually the perception of people here in New York because of St. Patrick's Cathedral and you think of the great cathedrals of Europe is that it's it's, when you're in a really big church, that's a cathedral. But yes, it is is not, in fact, the size of the church that makes it what it is with regard to the the nomenclature. But thank you for uh, helping keep us all educated on that one. Nicole. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. As a woman, International Women's Day drives me batty. I'm a woman. I don't understand the rationale being used to say we must have X X number of women represented here, there, and everywhere. I don't feel oppressed in any way for being a female in this day and age. Well, Nicole, they would tell you that's just because the patriarchy has brainwashed you into thinking that it's okay to just be a woman who's happy to be a woman and wants to be a woman. That's not allowed anymore. The left doesn't like that. You have How to be. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. You know, she doesn't like the patriarchy. That's for sure. The left uh, thinks that they have a better way for women, which is to both elevate and they like to both elevate and negate womanhood at the same time. That is the left these days, and this is why that challenge that keeps popping up for many conservatives for liberals. Can you please define what a woman is? It's not just that's not just an idle that's not idle chatter. That that's real. How does the left define? A woman. The answer is they really don't know how to do it, because if they define it as a biological issue, well, then what does that mean for the trans community? Jacob, hey Buck, enjoy your show. I listened to the replay on ninety-two point five in Naples, Florida. My question is: Have you seen the political ads for both Biden and Sanders featuring Obama showing support for each one? Keep up the great work you're doing. Yeah, Jacob, this is this is turning into who can who can be more beloved by the Obama coalition between Biden and Bernie. And I can tell you Biden's going to win that one for sure. So, look, Biden's going to be the nominee, folks. I, I know 
humble pie. I've been eating a lot of it on this one, but Biden's going to be the nominee. It is what it is. Corn pop. My legs. Blonde hair. Like to sniff babies and grab ladies. Joe Biden, folks. He's going to be your nominee. All right. Pass the buck. Tell a friend about the show. Download it on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, the iHeart app. Until tomorrow, Shields High.